Hello, fellow friends, family degenerates, and welcome to another edition of Caves Wisdom MMA. My name is Josh, and I am your host. Once again, I've brought in our co-host. I probably shouldn't say I brought in our co-host, but uh, Buckschler from MMA Nerd is on as uh, as a co-host and guest or, or analyst at this point because we got rid of the guest last time. So uh, give a quick hello, Buck. Uh, that's it. I'm here for real now. No more, no more guesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just live no here now. No more guests. Yeah. So we're uh, it's about nine o'clock at night where we are. So we're still burning the candle at both ends. But got a really good card coming up. One that I'm really excited about. Uh, you know, we've got a little bit of feedback from the the Caged Wisdom Universe, letting us know. And I know I mentioned this last time. I didn't really stick to it. That's that's my bad. Uh, trying to shorten this up a little bit. So we're going to focus mostly on the main card today. And I think that's what we're going to do with a lot of the uh, the episodes moving forward, the ones that you know, you're going to be paying for uh, and, and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, Buck, we talked briefly about one undercard fight that we thought looked good from a betting perspective. I think the odds are, are horrible, but we could at least give a really high overview on it. You want to touch that one off? Uh, we talked about Jake Collier and Chris Barnett. That's just going to be a fun heavyweight slobber knocker. Those guys are both, you know, more athletic than I think you would give them credit for if you just use the eye test. Um, and so I think they'll be in for a fun, probably short night. Five mile. But uh, I think it'll be a good a good time. I, I would put my money on Jake Collier. He's got really quick hands. used to be a middleweight, I think. Um, and he, he can put on a middleweight pace. Um, so I, I always like watching him throw down. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that, uh, Jake Collier hits every bit as hard as Barnett. I know Barnett looks like a bowling ball out there. Uh, but isn't he the guy that does the, the flips when he's and done the big spinning back? Isn't kick? The guy? Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Get out of Dodge. I mean, it's ridiculous. The guy's like two sixty. I think he's five foot eight or five foot nine two six. It's ridiculous. And Collier, uh, has got six inches of reach on him. Now at some point, toughness and and ability to absorb damage you know it, it can only go so far in professional sports when you get to the ufc uh someone that, that can hit as hard as you that that can maintain the distance and has six inches on you i'm always going to take that i don't think that there's gonna be any threat of either of these guys going to the ground uh i think that uh, barnett's got questionable cardio to say the least and i think that he's going to be constantly rushing in to try and hit collier i think collier is going to take this by tko that's just personal opinion. Seems like a safe bet to me. What do you think? Yeah, I think it seems like a safe bet to everybody. <laughs> I mean, the odds are, are very stacked against Barnett anyway. So, all right, let's go on to the main card. So there is a uh, – this is a fight that I'm really, really excited to see. Not because I think that they're two marquee names at this point, but their fighting styles are both really entertaining, and they also have got the personalities to boot. Johnny Walker's uh, a bit of a – uh, you know, he's a, he's a showman out there, a lot of time to his own detriment. And then Ayan Kutaleba or Kutalaba, whatever it is, you got to get better with these names for the love of God. Uh, you know, he, he's like the, the bully in high school that, you know, unfortunately could kick your ass. Uh, but he's a very dramatic individual on his introductions, gets in people's faces before the fight even starts. It's a little borderline ridiculous. But uh, let's go ahead and start off with that one because I'm really excited about that fight. So what do you think? You know, I feel bad starting off um, a betting podcast with this opinion, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put money anywhere near this fight. I think 
I really sat down and I really tried to watch film and I really tried to 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 make an educated prediction for this fight and the best I could come up with is this fight is too stupid. I think both of these guys are loons. There's just there I I mean if you had to put money down, I would say Kutilaba's got really really underrated takedowns and really really underrated offensive grappling um he's kind of showed that in his last fight yeah he's kind of labeled as a striker um just because he likes to swang and bang and he really likes um um an aggressive firefight but his top pressure uh is amazing the way he chains his trips and takedowns is really next level but i don't bet on johnny walker fights because the, the, the logic doesn't matter. Logic doesn't apply. He could either stand and have the most boring tit-for-tat exchange for five rounds or nuke somebody in 30 seconds or nuke himself in 30 seconds. There's just I, – I don't bet I don't bet on Johnny Walker fights. If you want – if you absolutely had to and you made me, I'd say Kutalaba can hold him down and hold him against the cage. Walker kind of can explode off. But I haven't seen so much like technical stand up or technical work from the ground from him. He usually just hulks out with just like the most incredible athleticism you'd see out of a light heavyweight. But yeah, I just can't rely on athleticism. Uh, I gotta go with Kutalaba and his skill. Ugh. Okay. So I, I understand exactly what you're saying. You know, Johnny Walker reminds me a lot of what someone we'll be talking about here in a minute, what Kevin Holland was four fights ago. Unpredictable, and not from a skill set or what he's going to do inside the ring, but from a mental standpoint. Uh, he didn't seem, there, there, there almost seemed to be a lack of maturity and professionalism from a game plan execution uh, and prep, maybe preparation. Uh, but he was very, very reliant on his athleticism and his striking ability but i saw him many many times joking smiling laughing abandoning the game plan and almost being okay with the loss and that's one of the things that really concerns me ion is different i don't feel that he i don't even think he has a sense of humor based on what i've seen but he gets in firefights and he also abandons his game plan quite often and uh, he seems to be one of the guy, if you hit me, I'm going to come back and I'm going to try and hit you harder, which I think could be a big risk with Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker is very, very good at, at maintaining his distance unless he's getting constantly pressured. And I think the ion is, you know, almost picture perfect on someone that's going to be coming, you know, head down, uh, waiting in, being able to, you know, he'll take two to give one. But I... I I'm I'm really hesitant on this, but based on what I've seen from from Ion, his chin, his overall athleticism, I don't think either of them have very good cardio. Uh, you know, relative to the top of the chain, Ion, best case scenario, he's a top ten gatekeeper. Johnny Walker has flashes of a top five guy, flashes, and then it goes away rather quickly. Uh, I like to at least bet one underdog. Otherwise, I just feel like I'm being a damn homer the whole time because it's it's hard to bet underdogs in MMA. But if there was one where I could see it going the other direction, it would be 
the this this one Johnny Walker. So I'm going to take the underdog right now and go for it. It absolutely could totally be Johnny Walker. There is there, I mean this is as much of a toss up. Not even comparing skills, who makes a mistake first? Both of them punish it so well. Both of them make them so frequently. I I'm excited for this fight, but nervous yeah, but about it too. But it's also it's also plus one sixty five for for Walker, mm-hmm. and that was one of the things that swayed my decision making in this. Is you know it's not minus one ten minus one ten. It's plus one sixty five for someone that I, I feel this is a a forty nine fifty one percent winning percentage for either of these guys. And so I like the odds on it, which is the reason that I'm going with Johnny Walker. Not necessarily because I think or I, I have some inside information where I know he's going to win. Uh, but, you know, with those odds, you you got you to gotta take where, what Vegas is going to give you on that one. So that's that's my opinion. That's about as much as I'll say on that fight, too. Okay. All right. So next fight up in the main card, Irene Aldana versus Macy Chason. 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 I think it's French. Chasson. Okay. I'm French. I should know that. You know, wa, Roy, means I shouldn't have told my fucking last name on this. Jesus <laughs> <Christ>. All right. <laughs> I had to edit that one out. All right. What do you think? Um, I think Aldana. I um Chasson Chasson has some exciting fights. Um she's had them, but she has them because when she gets into war, she can take the shots because she fights girls that don't have the pop. And Irene Aldana is, um, she's a threat uh, on the feet. She's got genuinely crisp striking. She changes levels. She counters in combination. She fights super well in the pocket. Um, when Chasson gets hurt, she dives into a, a, a clinch against the cage and tries to put her head up under, under your chin and, and force the action to come to a stop. And Irene Aldana is really good at being proactive in those exchanges, framing out and moving away from the side of the cage. She doesn't get stuck there. And she breaks from those clinches with strikes, body shots, hooks over the top. She frames, doesn't get caught, and punishes on the way out. So I don't think Chesson's going to have a lot of safety in this. And I think it... Who was Irene's last fight? I believe she fought Ketlin Vieira, who I think is ranked number two. Okay. Um, and okay. she knocked her out in the second round, I think. Cold. Dipping, okay. left hook, knocked her to the ground, one single follow-up shot, totally put her out. I think that was her last fight. Yeah. So we, we talked about this before the pod. Uh, once again, we never give each other our picks um, until we're actually on the pod, so we didn't discuss this. This is not one that, you know, I think that there's a lot of, I'm not even excited for this fight. I think this is too gatekeeper level, uh, you know, even in today's, uh, you know, environment with women's MMA where you've got very top heavy. I think that these two fall a little bit south of that, that top five um, from a talent perspective. Um, I, I have watched both of them fight in the past, but not enough of a resume, in my opinion, to be able to make an educated guess as to where I think this fight's going to take place. And so I've opted not to put any money or make any recommendations on this one. Now I know you have, so once you once you get into that, uh, I would say Aldana's. Um, she just has 
um, more tools on the feet and more tools to keep it standing. I think she keeps this fight where she wants it and Chesson doesn't have the skills to keep herself safe. I think this is going to be a good fight. Well, I think this is going to be a good even test for both women. Do I think that either of them stand a chance against Amanda Nunes at bantamweight or featherweight, which they both fought at? Zero. No. So, no. Is this going no, to affect and, and the division? Really the state. No. no, that's really the state of women's MMA. And it, and it makes me question a lot right now what's going on with the UFC because we saw it, you know, we see it on this card with Johnny Walker, uh, Ion, Irene, Macy. Um, I don't remember ones off the top of my head uh, from the last card and even the one before that. But they're, they're really putting some, I would say, mid-tier fights at the lower end of these pay-per-view events. And I, they didn't always used to be like that. It makes me wonder if they're doing that as a way to expose, uh, you know, provide some additional fan base to these fighters. I just don't think that these are the people that are going to be bringing in eyeballs. These are tough to get excited about from um, like a casual fan. A tepid fan is not going to know who any of these people are. Even Kevin Holland is, you know, you're you're still somewhat in the UFC uh you know, fan range. Now you get into Tony Ferguson, you get into Hamza, you get into Diaz. Now we're talking some that can cross over to the mainstream, but these aren't the guys. And I also don't think that they have the high, uh, you know, the, the high end or they're, they're not going to make it to a point where they're going to ever be a, a household name because just from the talent perspective, and I'm, I'm just genuinely curious as what the UFC is doing right now with this. This card is entirely carried by Nate Diaz, not even Hamza. Uh, when Hamzat fought Gilbert Burns, that card was carried by both fighters in the main event equally. But this fight is just Nate Diaz. That's all the marketing. And that's, I mean, if this gets a ton of pay-per-view buys, it's going to be all because of Nate Diaz. That's their bank. For sure. Nothing else on this card matters, I think, to the UFC. They're just going to bleed every last drop from Nate Diaz and then kick him to the curb. Well, I agree with you. I also think that Kevin Holland is, you know, I said this back in, in 2021. He seems, uh, if he gets on a really good winning streak, I know he's, he's what, you know, won his last three, and he's been looking more and more dominant. And I guess it's just, we'll just bridge right into that one. So the next fight we'll be talking about is Kevin Holland versus Daniel Rodriguez. But my point is Kevin Holland has shown flashes of stardom, not just from a skill set, He's exciting. He's skilled, uh, but as being a mouthpiece for the UFC, I think that he's got potential, legitimate crossover star capability here, and I think that he is very well suited to serve uh, either here or as a co-main event right now. The, at this card, I, I think in a way for the relatively serious MMA fan, it, it saves the card. Because who wants to watch Tony Ferguson go up to 170 and get knocked out? You know, no one really. You know, I don't know why they're doing that. Um, but but with Kevin Holland, I'm very, very excited about this fight. So Kevin Holland, uh, as we talked about earlier, he's had some some gaps in execution. Uh, very fun, playful guy with a, an amazing skill set uh, and, and incredible finishing capabilities. Both good on the ground. He's good in stand-up. Uh, as a matter of fact, outside of Izzy, I think he can stand with almost everybody. Uh, no, who's the other guy that Izzy's uh, – who's the Brazilian? What's his name again? Alex Bejeda. 
Yeah, Pajeda. I don't, I don't think he's going to stand with him. But very exciting fighter. I think he's got huge crossover potential. And um, versus Daniel Rodriguez, go ahead and give me your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I think to just agree with you there, yeah, they call Kevin Holland Big Mouth for a reason. He's a ton of fun. He's stopped crimes, I think, three times now. Like pretty yeah. pretty famously, he's like say, he's pulled people from burning cars and stopped armed robbers. He's, I mean, if yep. there's if there's going to be a new upcoming star in the UFC, it's going to be Kevin Holland if he wins this fight. Um, yeah, likeability factor too. So yeah, like I like his strikes. He strikes in combination, and he strikes in combination in the pocket. Um, I always like when fighters aren't afraid to throw more than one twos. Um, he is very long for welterweight because he used to fight up at middleweight and has gone down. And I checked, I think he has a seven inch reach advantage over Daniel Rodriguez. So it's going to be on him to make the best use of that reach advantage because I think Holland is way faster. I mean, Rodriguez hits really hard. He's really technical. He's got good movement. He's smart but he just does not move as fast as Kevin Holland. And if you have such a dramatic reach disadvantage, you need to get on the inside. You need to back him up against the cage so he can't run, and you need to close that distance. And if he's that much quicker than you, I think you're going to have a long night. He also has good footwork. Uh, You know, if anyone hasn't watched his fights before, he looked like he was going to be a world beater. Uh, up through the beginning of 2021. And then he ran into, um, what's the guy's name? Derek Brunson and Derek Brunson. Marvin Vittori, back-to-back. Yep. Back. Marvin, back-to-back. Back. And these guys exposed a weakness in his game that that you don't see that often. Uh, and, and for him, it's takedown defense. And I believe that he's adjusted on some of that. You can't just learn takedown defense in a year. It's, it's, it's impossible. Ask any wrestler. Um, it just takes a long time to develop that skill set. But I think with his his mental shift that he's gone through over the last three fights, and I mean, you can see it whenever he fights, very playful, joking. Uh, he would actually have conversations, you know, with his opponent and, and be talking, you know, like strange, jokey things that you wouldn't expect in a fight, not talking shit. And then he would just obliterate him. It was, it was crazy. Uh but that, that bit him. And when that bit him, it became uh, an asset. It went from an asset to a liability. Because then people were like, well, maybe he just doesn't take the sport very seriously. Or maybe, uh, you, know, he's, you know, he's so joking around that he's, he's never going to be able to make it to the next level. And then he came back, uh, fought Marvin Vittori, was you know, really angry looking at that fight. Got blown, you know, beat pretty handily again. This was at 185. And then made some adjustments, went down to 170, and has looked really, really good. Now, against Cowboy, uh, the Brazilian Cowboy, you know, he had a rough first first round. It looked relatively even. Uh, but coming out in round two, you could just see the adjustment that was taking place in him. And I think if he gets his head right, then – and he's not like a Uriah Hall where he doesn't have self-belief. It's if he gets his head right and he's able to execute on the game plan and not get too wrapped up in these – you know, large flashy movements or, or knocking somebody out. He is a, he is a problem. He's a problem for anyone that he fights. And on top of him having a lot of reach, um, you know, being really good with distance control, very good with his feet. He's got good kicks, but the guy has got some serious power to him. 
serious power. I mean, he puts people's lights out. And so for me, I am one of Kevin Holland's biggest fans because I think that not only can he, you know, make for an exciting fight, but I think he can also bring a lot of eyeballs to the UFC. You know, he's the kind of guy that's going to go on Dancing with the Stars or something like that down the road. You know, if he if he continues to win like he's doing right now, I see a very, very bright future for him. And I believe that he, you know, squarely outclasses Dana Rodriguez in, in pretty much every aspect. So I think the, the, the hole that I see in Kevin Holland's game right now is he does have that incredible distance control, and he has that because of this super long bladed kung fu stance where he's really low to the ground and his legs are really far apart, and he uses that to dart back and forth um, and kind of control how far he is away from his opponent. And he wants to control that distance because he's got the buffer with that 7-inch reach advantage. Daniel Rodriguez loves low kicks, and the biggest weakness about that long-bladed stance is your weight is evenly distributed, and you can't pick that leg up well and like reliably enough to check low kicks or to draw your leg away from it um, to avoid those low kicks. So if he's relying on his mobility and gets those and gets kicked in the leg early, I think that's going to seriously hinder his his ability to to move and move around and make the best use of his range. You did say he makes really good adjustments. I have that in my notes as well. Kevin Holland is super duper coachable. So I would expect that that front leg gets chopped up pretty serious in the first round and he goes back to his corner and they they find a way to get around that, changes changing his stance around timing more feints whatever they're gonna do and i think he makes a stronger showing in the second round might even put him away there yeah and that brings a you know i guess to to piggyback on that whenever you're throwing a leg kick the best the best counter for that is a straight right you know consider you know if you're if you're in traditional stance Mm -hmm. and that is what i would say is uh kevin holland's best punch is that that straight cross, that right, you know, he sets it up a lot, but he's laser, laser sharp with that. Uh, is that right? Laser sharp? He's razor sharp. Laser quick. But it's a laser. Laser quick. Uh, he doesn't have any loop to his punches when he's throwing that. And each one of those has the ability to put out pretty much anyone's lights. Uh, I believe that Kevin Holland is going to take this because he's just as good on the ground as he is on the feet. Uh, he's definitely a, a threat via submission. It's the it's the in between stuff that he struggles with with the wrestling, and you know that's a really good point that you made with his his really wide base stance. That's something I, I usually look for. Um, but Daniel Rodriguez, on the other hand, he's got good boxing. You're right. He's got the good leg kicks. He's a tough dude. He's a really tough dude. But I think from a a complete package, next level athleticism, I'm gonna have to go with Kevin Holland on this. I agree. Okay. All right, next one. Really curious about this fight. Really curious because this could be the end of a legend. Uh, I don't know. It's necessarily going to be the re- uh, an emergence of a new contender, but let's get into it. It's Lee Yingliang versus Tony El Kakui Ferguson. Your thoughts? So I think you alluded to picking Johnny Walker as your underdog, and. That makes me think you're going with Li Jingliang, and I'm going with T-Ferg. I am nervous, but I think that 
Tony Ferguson's like plus 255 right now. And I yep. think that is underestimating him. He has a history at welterweight. He won his season of the Ultimate Fighter at welterweight. And when he was at 170, he had a reputation for super heavy hands and super quick knockouts. Even before the legend of Tony Ferguson became this insane pressure and the incredible ground game and the razor-sharp elbows and all of that stuff, before he was just super heavy hands and an aggressive pace. And that was what he was at 170. And since then, he has built this entire repertoire of skills incredible scrambling, uh, dangerous from the bottom, threatening chokes all the time. Uh, he is better at welterweight now because of his time at lightweight. So I, you know, and, and so, and I know he lost his last fight, but I was actually really encouraged by Ferguson. He lost his last three. He, well, yeah, four, actually. He lost... Four. To Gaethje, Oliveira, Dariush, and Chandler, and the um, those first three, he wasn't in them. He didn't have anything against Gaethje, and he got controlled on the bottom against Chan um, Oliveira and Dariush for pretty much the whole time. With yep. Chandler, however, he looked really good in round one, um, and I think he actually won that round. Um, I, so. Am I worried that that knockout took its effect? Yes. But I am going to call that a fluke knockout because Chandler's never thrown that kick once in his entire life, and I don't think he'll ever throw it again. Um, they always say the knockouts um, are the ones you don't see coming. The The shot that knocks you out is the one you don't see. So that that kind of Saw explains the one it. with Gaethje. Yeah. Right. Well, so for Gaethje... He took five rounds of the most insane beating I've ever seen in the UFC. And he and and he fought through all of that. With and that was after two weight cuts. It was he cut weight for the Khabib fight and then cut weight a, like a month later for the Gaethje fight. So you know, I don't really see Li Jingliang knocking him out standing. He's got really good power. And Li Jingliang has really good counters. Um, he throws these wide looping punches, and he puts a lot of torque on those things, and it puts people totally asleep. Um, he's done it before, and he'll do it again. But I think Tony Ferguson has tighter punching mechanics. His hooks are going to have a way smaller trajectory, and I think he's going to get those heavy hands back at welterweight. I think he can get inside, and do some serious damage. Now, uh, Lee's never been knocked out, but he has been submitted a couple of times. So I wouldn't be surprised. By Hamzat. Right, he's been submitted by Hamzat. I wouldn't be surprised if Tony puts a pace in that first round, cracks him. What Lee likes to do is he likes his trips from clinches, and he likes his double legs. Um, and he's he's good on the ground. But I think... If he shoots on a double on Tony for safety after he gets cracked, I think Tony puts him away. So I wouldn't be surprised if Tony Ferguson locks this up by submission. Okay. I'm going to have to. So to your point, 
before I knew, this is a little while ago, before I knew that this was a fight that was going to be taking place at 170, I thought that Tony Ferguson was going to come back and, and stir the pot and maybe get some some belief again in his ability to put on a little bit of a run. I have yet to see a legitimate scenario where you have a aging, fading fighter that's going through you know several knockouts, especially the one that happened last time, move up a weight class, and then have a lot of success. Um, we saw it with, I'm trying to remember, who's the guy that fought last? Jesus, I'm dying right now. Um, who's the light heavyweight that fought Paul Acosta? Uh, Rockhold. Yeah, we saw Luke Rockhold do it, mm-hmm. right? And he thought the issue was that the weight cuts were getting in the way or that uh, his body was better suited now that he's getting a little bit older and he's putting on more muscle mass. And so the natural tendency is to go a little bit higher. Tony Ferguson, one thing he does not lack is self-belief. But I think it's gotten to the point now where it's borderline delusional. And if there's one thing I've always said to my friends, you never bet crazy, right? You never bet crazy because we don't know who's coming out that night. And I think Li Yingliang or Jingliang is good enough to handle the power from Tony Ferguson. I think that he's good enough and big enough to stop the takedowns. And I don't think it's going to be an easy fight, probably a decision for Li Jingliang. But I, Ferguson has been through too many wars. There's too many. There's too much delusion that's going on in his head, and um, too many recent knockouts. I just don't think he has what it takes anymore to compete at this level. I totally agree. And so I want to make the distinction here between um, picking who's going to win and picking how to bet, because. I think Li Jingliang is the favorite is the is correct. I think Li Jiang is probably going to win this fight. But I think at plus 255, which is what Tony is, I think, I think yeah. that is uh, underestimating him. So I think if you wanted to bet on an underdog, that's going to be the best bang for your buck. That's going to get you the most return because I think that's a little bit too high. I think Ferguson's... It, I think it's closer than that. Okay. I think I think that's fair. So, you know, we're at that 30-minute that mark right now. We've got one more fight to cover. Obviously, the main, the fight, uh, the main fight. We want to honor what we said we're going to do and, and keep the track. So, um, next fight, main card, or excuse me, headline fight, Hamza Chimaya versus Nate Diaz. This is, uh, this is cruel. It's a bummer, honestly. And Nate Diaz has, has won exactly three fights at welterweight, and two of them have been against lightweights. Um, he beat mm-hmm. he beat um, Anthony Pettis, who was a lightweight, and he beat Conor McGregor, who was actually coming up from featherweight. Um, and then he beat I think like Crazy. Rory Markham years and years ago, For at a long time ago. Yeah, long at welterweight, ago. he doesn't like getting pressured, and. You know, he doesn't wrestle up super well. You know, it's just bad news. Comzat goes forward, and he's going to take him down, and he's going to hold him there. I, You know, I I know he's got his, like, slick little arm bars, but you're not going to triangle choke an avalanche. It's just not going to happen. It's a real (laughs) bummer. Um, You know, and I even heard in an interview earlier this week, um, Nate, Nate said, I don't care if he beats me. This isn't about that. 
Like he he is going out there. I, think I heard the same interview. He's going out there to put on a show. He's going out, you know, not even that. He's going out there to promote his new fight promotion that he's got, Real Fight Inc. And he's gonna go out there to say fuck you to the UFC. And and I and I don't think he needs to win to do that. And I think he knows that too. So no, he also he also said in an interview with Brett Okamoto that he would be willing to re-sign with UFC because he knows it's the biggest game in town and it's the you know, the best fighters in the world are Mm -hmm. and that he's never even been interested in going after a title, which I I believe with him because everything that that gentleman says, um, I don't know if I should use the word gentleman. Nate's never told a lie in his life. Never told a lie in his life. Uh, He is 100% straight. He's 100% real. I I believe that this is an opportunity that the UFC put together to build an even bigger name and a bigger following for Hamza on the back of Nate Diaz, who's been... Uh, a needle mover for about the past five years when he was fight, you know, after his fight with Conor McGregor, he's always been, you know, he's always had a following, but he really crossed over to the mainstream with that fight with Conor and his, his post fight antics and all this presser antics that he's had before. This is a perfect example of a young up and coming stud that looks like he is going to be quite possibly uh, a two weight or a two weight division title holder. That's what I feel with with Hamzat against someone that is a a tough out for anybody. But he's aging, and he's had a lot of you know verbal con- or verbal contract disputes, public contract bis- disputes with the UFC. This is his final fight. This is an opportunity for UFC to make a name for Hamza off of Nate without a whole lot of repercussions because we all know that he's not going to go and get a title fight anytime soon. It's really the perfect scenario for the UFC. It's a great scenario for Hamza, even though this is not going to be looked on as a very impressive win for him, just considering where they are in their careers. But the thing about Nate is we never, ever know. He's always surprises us with his performances, whether, you know, you can't believe he lost, but also, you know, like when he fought Cowboy Cerrone, or Michael Johnson, or uh, Conor McGregor to a point, or when he fought, uh, what's the guy's name? The the guy that just beat Usman, um, Leon Edwards. Yeah, Leon Edwards, and he almost took him out in the fifth round. So this is a great fight. This is a great fight for for us. It's a great fight for the fans. It's a great fight for the sport. It's a great fight for bringing new eyeballs uh, to the UFC. I'm really excited about it. Don't kid yourself though. The odds are so stupid in this one. I think it's like, what is Chimaya's, it right now? Uh, minus twelve fifty, uh, and Diaz okay. is plus eight hundred. Okay, don't don't bet this, guys. I mean, you could, but why? Hamzat will win this fight, hundred percent, just because of where they are in their careers, and also I think that the sport has evolved so much. And this is, you know, back to my point that we've talked about in the past. My eleven rules. He's from a location where there's a skill set that hasn't been solved yet. He's a younger dog. He's got a lot lot to lose. He's also with an incredible fight team. I mean, everything that you want to check the box, this guy has in spades. What do you think? Nate's just, yeah, 38. That's that's old for that weight division, you know? Um, You can kind of get away with being 38 as a heavyweight, but not when you need to be fast. And I think Nate. And we yeah. talked about too about the will to win. Yeah, he's already talking, and in his interviews, he's saying that he doesn't give a fuck if he gets beat up. He doesn't get. He doesn't care if he loses or wins. It just doesn't matter to him. He wants to put on a show. He wants to go to war. 
that is, I don't want to see he doesn't have the will to win because I don't think there's an ounce of quit in the Diaz brothers, but there's a difference. Hamzat has a tremendous amount to lose. Diaz has almost nothing to lose and everything to gain from this right now. Yeah. It's not about the fight for Nate win or lose. on Saturday. No. So enjoy the show, this but the name he's fighting, but don't, yeah. but don't bet on this main event. <laughs> I mean, you, you can if you want to wrap it up in something, but you know, if I were to say what it would be, I would say it would be Hamzat, uh, Holland Aldana. Yeah, no, I'm saying, uh, what do you think the method of victory for Hamzat? I mean, Diaz is a really hard guy to take out. Um, uh, TKO, I think. I think you think so. Yeah, I think. Well, you know, because you know, Nate will say I wasn't out, but. I don't think he'd be able to defend himself, you know. Leon Edwards couldn't take him out. Uh, He's got a chin. Yeah. Well, you know, Nate's uh, – yeah, I think I think Nate will get up and he'll say, you know, I wasn't out. I could still go. I'm the baddest motherfucker here. Um, but I think he'll have answered a couple of – he'll have – you know, he'll take it a, a couple of unanswered shots. He's going to get cut okay, up really I'm bad. He's got so much I'm scar tissue. I'm going to say Dr. Stoppage. Dr. Stoppage. Dr. Yeah, I wouldn't – I would not be surprised. I think that's what's gonna happen. He's gonna get he's gonna get called because he's gonna have a cheek cut or an eyebrow cut. Huge cut from an elbow above his eye. I don't see him stopping or getting knocked out by anybody, really. Even with a baseball bat for some reason. I don't know how the guy pulls it off, but he does. And I'm not gonna bet against him right now. because um, Chemayev, even though he's got that one punch power. But anyway, uh, you know, we're coming up a little bit over, but not bad. I mean, before I've been hovering around fifty nine minutes. Kept it tight. So, as, yeah, as a, as a quick recap, though, uh, let's see here. So we've got Jake Collier in the undercard. And then for me, I'm taking Johnny Walker. Buck is taking Ayan Kutaleba. Both taking Irene Aldana, Kevin Holland. I'm taking Li Jingliang, and Buck is taking Tony Ferguson. Incredible. And then I'm taking Hamza, and I believe you're taking Hamza as well. That's right? correct. You want to go hard underdog? Now would be the time to do it. <laughs> Throw your balls out there, buddy. Uh, you drop, you drop five bucks, <laughs> you'll walk away a millionaire if you bet on Nate Diaz. I swear. You well, I don't know statistically, no, but you make a lot of money. You make a lot of money. Yeah, I think there's going to be a couple upsets in this fight, or excuse me, this card. But all right, so we'll finish up with this. What's your plans to fight uh, for the for the fights? What are you going to do? Same thing we do every week. We're going out to the bars. We're going to get in the crowd. Wild wings. We're going to listen to them scream and shout, and I'm going to I'm going to yell my head off, and I'm going to make everyone sitting at the table with me uncomfortable. And that's a promise. <laughs> yep. I'm going to go over to Buddy's house like I always do. We all have a we have a a couch, and they have, it's all divided up into individual chairs. Perfect. Our own spots that we go to. Perfect. There's only four of us allowed to be there. And then I go on and on about how much I know about MMA and I, people start rolling their eyes until they can't take it anymore. And then the fight's over about that time. So, all right. Well, Buck, uh, always a pleasure. Love your breakdowns. Love your preparation again. Um, you obviously making made cage was proud over here and, uh, we're going to re regroup for the next big UFC event. We were thinking about doing some of the smaller shows. We're not sure yet. We're both busy people, uh, with families and lives outside of the UFC. Um, and we're not making, we're not getting paid for this. So, uh, once again, my name is Josh. 
This is Buck from MMA Nerd, and thank you everyone for taking the time to listen to Caged Wisdom MMA. Have a great weekend.